Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm so happy that you're here today. We're going to talk today about drawing water from the wells of salvation. And today, let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we thank you that your word supplies the answers we need in the midst of a very troubled world and in the, vit- in the midst of various negative circumstances. But Father, we thank you for the anointing of your word, the wisdom of Christ within our minds. Now, Father, we give you praise for your anointing, miracles, and breakthroughs that you are doing in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And around the world we say, Amen. Now, my friends, we have passed Pentecost. We're just a few days past Pentecost, and we are now in a time where we are anticipating the Obed-Edom experience, where the Ark of the Covenant was dropped off at his house by King David, and it's there in the home of Obed-Edom for three months. And great things begin to take place in his life. God began to bless him profusely. Now, I want to share a few insights that we need to be aware of over these next 90 days. First of all, three months goes by very, very quickly. So don't try to become spiritually serious or spiritually dialed in on day 88. No, I would say give God your very best focus, because I believe for many of you, you're going to have Obed-Edom type experiences where it will be reported, just like it was to King David. God is blessing Obed-Edom, and the blessings were quite extensive. Now, I want you to be mindful of the Lord, and I want you to really seek the Lord during these next uh, or actually less than 90 days now. We're a few days under, of course. But my friends, watch out for distractions. Watch out for things that would pull you away from the Lord and cause your focus to drift upon things that would not have any value or benefit for you. You know, there's a lot of entertainment in our Western culture, everything from movies to music and all of these things that want to take up thought space in your mind. And I really want to encourage you to endeavor to uh, dial back from those things and fill your heart with the Word of God and take extra time to pray. That way, when you wake up in the morning, the things of God are on your mind and also be very focused on how you use your time. Let me give you an example. I believe that God is going to be speaking to many of His people over the next three months through dreams and encounters in the night season. But here's the thing. If you've stayed up till midnight or one o'clock in the morning and you're watching silly movies or you're putting uh, all of these uh, brainless TV shows or uh, video streaming, all kinds of crazy content, you're putting all that stuff into your head. And then suddenly at 5.30 in the morning, God wants to visit you or he gives you a dream what will happen is you'll have so much of this other stuff on your mind that either you'll fall back to sleep because you stayed up too late 
and now you don't have the strength to recover that dream or you just get so bogged down with the things of the world that God is not able to speak clearly to you the way that he wants to. So this is a time where God is talking and it is true that all it takes is one word from God to change your life. I know that's a phrase that Kenneth Copeland, uh, he termed that phrase, one word from God can change your life. But you have to understand, it really can. It is the word of victory, God's word. It's, not a, it's never a word of defeat, but it's a word of victory. So we want to do our best uh, to be on a frequency where we're just doing our part. We are making ourselves available and we are really pushing in. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, today I want to cover a subject that can be quite challenging for some people because, as I said, we do live in a world with many problems and many situations around us, but you're going to have to really guard your heart against worry because worry despite how some Christians make it almost like a pet sin. What I mean by that, it's just like if you have a pet, you take your pet with you and you, uh, you know, you pet your pet on the head and take good care of your pet and feed it and water it. Some people, yeah, it's like, it's almost like they seem like they're doing that with worry. And I'm talking about God's people <laughs> where they're worried about many things. And Jesus said, worry can choke the word and the word is not able to produce. Now you could hear the message. So the seed of God's word is sown upon the fertile soil of your heart, but worry will come in there and begin to choke it. And it's worry about the cares of life and all of the uh, things that are swirling and circulating with news. And of course, most of the news, if not uh, predominantly all of it today is geared towards stuff that's negative. That's because the news agency knows that fear, F-E-A-R, fear sells. And if they go on the air and all they do is talk about good, wonderful things, uh, they, don't get, they don't get the viewership that they're wanting. So it's got to be the most shocking, awful, horrible, and then repeat that over and over again, uh, where they're just putting perpetual fear into the people because it is a money-driven machine. And so that, that machine, of course, is very worldly, and it's running on a fear-based system. So we have to really watch out for worry, because worry can choke the word for, uh, from producing. But worry also will rob you of your strength. And I'm, I'm even talking about your physical strength. Yes, it'll zap your spiritual strength. It'll kill your prayer life. It'll certainly kill the presence of the Lord. But my friends, it can even affect you in a way that would be negative, where you begin to feel lethargic and tired and then aches and pains. And I'm not talking about somebody who's going on 90. You can be 18. And uh, if you get all into all of this uh, worry and fear, it'll even affect your physical body. Uh, many people get ulcers. Uh, they get uh, stomach problems. And next thing you know, they're drinking all of these uh, things like Pepto-Bismol or whatever. And it's because they're worried about the things that are going on in the world. And yes, it could even rob you of your physical strength. So worry robs you of strength because worry is pulling you out of a, excuse me, out of a position of joy and a loss of joy will always equate to a loss of strength. And so we have to be very, very aware of this. Now, first Peter 
chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, I believe it is your time for lifting up, for an exaltation from the Lord. So let's do what he says to do so that God will do what he says he will do. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, casting all of our cares on the Lord, and of course, leaving them there. And that takes faith because you can get to a place in prayer where you get all of that stuff over on the Lord, and you can sense peace, and the, the peace is stabilizing your, your life. It's even uh, causing health to spring back into your body. But you can't let uh, a negative letter, whether it's a doctor's report or an overdue bill or something like that, cause you to just lose your faith and get back into worry. You have to walk this out by faith. Praise God. You have to stay in faith. So you pray and you tell the Lord about what it is you're dealing with, what it is you're facing, and you take those cares and you cast them over on the Lord. Because the truth is, we were never designed by God. Remember, he's the manufacturer. We were never designed by God spiritually, mentally, or physically to carry and deal with worry. It's just something that's not good for us. And God wants to take all of the care, all of the anxiety, all of the worry, so that we don't have to deal with it. But we have to get it over on the Lord. And the Lord knows what to do with it because he can begin to work things out and he can dissolve these things and bring the peace into our lives that we all are looking for. Again, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And let's say you have a really good prayer time and you get up off your knees and you feel happy in your heart and you say, Lord, I know you've got it. But then maybe two hours later, you get an email or a phone call, and that situation is, uh, appears to not be relenting. It's still bringing the pressure. What do you do? Do you get back in the worry? You say, no, I have cast that care over on the Lord, and I'm aware of this. Uh, I, I'm not trying to act like these things aren't going on. I'm aware of this, but God is working this out in my life, and I refuse to worry about it. In other words, it's not like you go back to God and say, Lord, I see that you're, you're, take, you're taking care of that. You're working on it. It's over there uh, in your lap. But let me just take it out of your lap, and I'm going to pick it back up because I can fix it. No, we can't fix it. Let's leave it with the Lord. We cast all of our care over on the Lord. And this is something, of course, that we need to do immediately. Anytime there would be a situation that would produce anxiety, worry, or fear in our lives, we don't ever want to live in a place like that because, again, God did not design us to carry these types of things because they can affect your physical body, drain your strength, drain your energy, and also it gives the enemy a legal right to come in through various, uh, you know, it could be anxiety issues now. It could be, uh, you know, anything that would be stress-related. Everybody's bodies reacts different to these types of situations. So God wants us to stay in health. He wants us to stay with a clear mind so that we can pick up what he's speaking to us. Our hearts need to be calm. And so we are not supposed to live with these types of things. So actually, anytime you get over into worry, there's always, uh, because worry in, in so many ways is, is just 
it's just, uh, it's unbelief. But worry, if we look at it carefully, worry is actually faith in what it is that you're concerned about. Let's say that you're concerned about a flood. And, uh, you know, even if the, all the reports say there's not going to be any refl- a flood, you know, last time we had a flood was 400 years ago, but you could think, uh, well, you know, you never know, tomorrow may be the day when it, we just have a flood and my house goes underneath the water or something like that. Well, uh, even though that may not happen, you could get yourself over into a place where you're consumed about it. And if you start getting wrong information, you can actually have faith in something that you fear. And a lot of people do that, maybe with a tornado or something like that, or flying in an airplane. And so they are actually sitting on the airplane, and they have faith that they're going to crash. It's, it's like a reverse form of, of faith. So it's a perversion of faith. It's, it's worry and fear. But that, in a sense, is what it is. It's faith gone wrong. It's misapplied faith. And so they're believing something negative is going to happen, and that worry and that fear mixed together produces a toxic recipe that once it's all baked out, um, it's really a place where even for a Christian, you can actually be living in an area of torment. Now we see this in the Bible. First John chapter four, let's turn over there and take a look at this. First John chapter four and Let's go down to verse 17. Praise God. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, because fear involves torment. Anytime you're in fear of something, that invites torment to come into your life. And trust me, you know that God loves you. He would never, ever want to see his son or daughter in a place where they're tormented. And then you can get so tormented by fear that now you can't sleep at night. And that's going to affect you when you go to work the next day because now you're physically exhausted and you can't perform up to your expectations, and your mind is in a fog, and you're thinking, Lord, I've got myself in a real pickle here. What do we do? Well, we want to throw off every bit of worry. We want to take every care, any anxious thought, and throw it over on the Lord, and never touch it again. You know, there's a lot of Christians, again, that They seem to think that this is something that they could just handle or the Lord doesn't mind too much. They they say things like, well, everybody worries. No, that's not true. You don't have to live in that place. You could be a a person that, that has struggled with this, or you may be dealing with it right now because you have a real situation, but you can get that thing over on the Lord, cast it over on him, and you'll find out that God can fix anything that's involving your life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. I have always found this scripture to be very, very interesting. I I remember the first time it really came to life for me was that in the church I was attending one time, I was in 
I was in my mid-twenties, and I was attending this church, and you had a men's Bible study and a women's Bible study, both going on in different parts of the church building. And then after that was completed, the whole church came together for the Sunday morning worship service and main sermon by the pastor. So I remember one time uh, the men's class, and I was asked to teach that, the men's class, we got everything wrapped up. We went through the lesson. Uh, We had a nice uh, study of the Bible, and we got through with that message, that that study that day, uh, a little bit earlier than normal. And I thought, well, I'm I'm all complete, and uh, the guys are going to go take a break outside. I thought I'm going to go sit in on the women's Bible study. Uh, I, if I go now, I thought I'll probably catch at least ten or fifteen minutes of it. And when I walked in, I sat I sat in the back because you know this was the women's Bible study, and, and if it's just women, they can talk more freely and be more open, knowing that it's just women. Same thing, you get the men together. Um, in certain areas. Well, anyhow, I walked in on a tremendous uh, class where the teacher, uh, a dear friend of mine, she was teaching so good. And she was teaching from the book of Romans 14. And she read this verse, which is the last verse in the chapter. And when she read the verse, it seemed like it stunned every single person in there. And it raised the inescapable question that was presented to her. And the way that she answered it was uh, uh, quite interesting. And let me tell you about that in just a, a moment. First, let's read the verse. Romans 14, verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Now, this is this is in context not talking about kosher food, what's uh, clean under the Mosaic law, what's not. This is talking about more modern-day uh, situations that the church in Rome was facing about food that's been offered to idols. Can you eat that food? Can, or is, is it okay? And if it is okay, should I do it in front of a weak Christian? Is that going to upset them because they're not understanding? They, they actually think this was offered to Apollo or Zeus. They don't even realize maybe still you had a lot of young Christians that don't know anything. Maybe they still don't even understand that uh, uh, how all this works, that there is only one God, there is no other God. <laughs> so, you know, they're just learning. So that's what uh, actually is the context right here. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And Paul even jumped a little bit into the subject of vegetarians, non-vegetarians. So it's really, if you, if you have a certain persuasion and, uh, you know, it doesn't disagree with the word and it harmonizes with Scripture, then just go ahead and enjoy yourself. But at the same time, realizing in this area of faith, you may have faith in certain things that you know from the Bible are okay, and others may be at a place they haven't learned all of that yet, so it might upset them. These are areas we want to walk in love. Now, verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever. I mean, that word whatever is very inclusive. This even includes eating food for whatever is not from faith is sin. So uh, this woman was teaching on this in the women's Bible class, and uh, she's gone on into her own wonderful ministry, uh, which was easy to see was coming for her. But somebody uh, when she read that, it's like everybody caught uh, 
what Paul was saying. If you're not in faith, then trust me, anytime you're in worry, you are absolutely not in faith. But if it's not a faith, Paul said it's sin. And somebody, uh, some lady raised her hand and uh, the teacher said yes. And the person raised with their hand up, had, had the question, well, is this saying that anytime we're in doubt and unbelief, we're in sin? She said, yes, that's exactly what this is saying. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> you know, you really do realize that you need the blood of Jesus flowing over you continually because, um, you know, you, you could be in a place where you're worrying and you're thinking, oh, this is not a big deal. It is. It's, it's sin. Worry is unbelief. Worry and all, all of these various forms of anxiety and things like this. Uh, these are things that God wants to bring healing into the lives of his people so they can see the miracles uh, and the power of God released into their lives. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So anytime it's not a faith, and, and look, we all know that if you're full of worry, you're, it's because you don't believe God's going to come through for you or you doubt God's uh, power or ability to come in there and do a miracle for you. And that's why people worry and fret and get all nervous and then get sick and then get, they get all troubled or something like that. And they're only complicating the problem by worrying. So yes, that would be sin. So we need to get these things over on the Lord. Let God be God. You know, when I was uh, helping my daughter learn how to ride her bicycle. And, you know, you know, like, like the age of seven or eight or something like that, she's riding around a little bitty simple bicycle and, a, you know, training wheels. And eventually the training wheels come off and she's riding the bike around. Then it doesn't take too long before somehow the chain comes off. And, you know, then the chain's all kind of tangled up and it comes off the sprockets off the back. And, you know, a little child looks at that and they don't know what to do with that. And, but you know what? She'd bring it to me. And uh, she would just cast it over on me, so to say, and I would fix that bicycle and uh, get the get the chain back on the sprocket and make it make sure it's on the right ones and all working right and stuff like that. So she realized if something's messed up and, and she had messed something up, not intentionally, but something's broken or messed up, she would bring it to me and I'd put it all back together the way it's supposed to be. And now it's working good. And if it's got bent or something like that, well, we can just fix it or get another one. Praise God. So it's the same way with God. We need to let God be God. Let him do what only he can do and not try to be God ourselves, but cast these things over on the Lord. Mm -mm -mm. Because if you don't, there's problems and situations that are so real, that are so bad. Yeah, they can eat your lunch. <laughs> so let's get it over on the Lord because nothing can eat his lunch. There's nothing that, you know, God can't uh, handle or look at or, or, you know, that's why we want to do this. Pray. So pray and, until you get into that place of peace and release. And that doesn't mean it's a once and for all done deal in the sense where you, will, you may not be tempted again. You probably will be tempted to, again, get into anxiety or worry. But don't take the bait. Just say no. Don't let the thought come into your mind. Just say no. I refuse to worry about this. And then just go on and praise the Lord and worship God and just trust him and have joy in your heart because joy really does have a lot to do with this. Now, uh, one of the classic scriptures is Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. And we have 
the Jews that have come back from captivity and they have rebuilt uh, Jerusalem and so forth. And now they're all together. And so you have Ezra and Nehemiah and they bring out the book of the law, which for the longest time had been uh, lost, they thought, but it was a copy was recovered. And so what happens is that these leaders, they stand up and they begin to read the law. You know, as we would say, the Ten Commandments, the book of Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Well, what happens as they, as they start reading, the more they read, and now when it began, everybody's all happy, but the more they start reading the law, the uh, people start getting sad. And then you have, you have adults, they're starting to cry and weep. Why? They're like, oh my goodness, we have really been violating God's laws. We didn't know that all of these things we were doing. Uh, and because when they're hearing it read off, they're like, uh-oh, we broke that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And, you know, the leaders just keep on reading and the listeners are going, this is getting worse and worse. <laughs> so uh, there, was a, there was a breakdown within the people because now they're all sad. Uh, so we have Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. But that's why they were mourning and weeping, because they, they were just realizing we have really gotten away from obedience to God. Okay. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Now, this is a feast uh, period that is going on right now. Technically, it is the Feast of Tabernacles. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you take worry, anxiety, fear, all of those things, and give them to the Lord... Now you can get back in your joy walk and get your strength back. And yes, it, it certainly affects your spiritual strength, but it also affects your attitude, and that deals with the soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your, you know, your attitude and so forth. You get, you get happy again, get your hope alive again. But yes, it also affects your body. And the next thing you know, you're like, come on, let's get up and get going. God's going to do something. We're not at the end yet. God's going to come through. Amen. And you, you may not know how or, or, or things along that line, but, but God, look, we serve the God who answers by fire. Mm -mm. That's what happened with Elijah. He said, look, let's all get together. Uh, we've had too much idolatry going on for too long. Everybody trying to serve Baal or whatever the case might be. He said, you guys all get together, set up, your, uh, set up your altar over here. I'll go over here by myself. I set up my altar. You guys call on your God. We all know, who, you know, you Baal or whoever. Okay, I'm going to call on mine and the God who answers by fire, that's whom we're going to serve. <laughs> so, you know, there's only one who can answer by fire and that's the living God. Oh my goodness. So my friends, we serve a big God and he can take these situations that we face that may seem so uh, cosmic, cosmically enlarged, but God looks at those and uh, almost, I would say, uh, even kind of laughs because to him, they're so small. Praise God. But this is a time of joy. We need to have the joy of the Lord. 
continually flowing in our hearts because it produces the strength. Now, here's something also very interesting about this from the book of Isaiah, chapter 12. And let's begin in verse 1. I see troubles, worries, anxiety lifting off of you. Now, there's many in the world that don't know the Lord. They don't have a covenant of salvation. And they're, tr- they're worried about many things. And there's people that gobble up and devour the news as negative and pessimistic as it is. And so they have a very horrible diet of consuming things like that. And in so many ways, you are what you eat. And when that's all that you consume is garbage, garbage in, and that's going to produce uh, a mindset that can trigger uh, uh, erratic behavior. You know, when the stock market crashed in 1929, you literally had full-grown men in their 40s and 50s jumping out of windows to commit suicide, okay? And so if you just live your life and you, uh, you think, oh, it doesn't really matter, you know, what I meditate on or what I put in my mind, and you just live for, you know, pleasure or enjoyment or you, you, you don't have God at all in your life, then suddenly when something of heavy impact hits— whether it's a natural disaster, economic trial, or something like that, you see a lot of people that they just go into total fear mode, and they go into worry, and sometimes they go completely erratic, and they jump, or they leap, or something like that. My friends, we are people of courage, we are people of faith, and we are people of peace. Hallelujah. Living in a world that's troubled, but walking with the Lord, and even having joy and peace in the midst of it. Now, we see in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1, and in that day you will say, and I believe that today is that day, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Now, of course, for the believer, God's anger is turned away because his wrath that would be against our sins was poured upon Jesus. It was placed upon him. And the truth is, is that the God's wrath against sinners in general, against anybody in general, was also placed completely upon Jesus. But you have to put your faith and trust in him in order to receive forgiveness of sins and have your life made at peace with God. Okay? So I tell you what, Jesus has paid the price. All anybody has to do is receive by faith through, uh, through God's grace that marvelous work of redemption, and a person can be born again and on their way to heaven and never, ever face the anger of God. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Well, if you're going to draw water from a well, you really need two things. You need a bucket. And in many ways, our meditation on scripture, our research into the word of God, our times of study, uh, and uh, appli- uh, just going through the word and finding ways that we can apply it to our lives. That's like the bucket, the meditation, the reading, memorization of scripture. That's the bucket but you, you have to lower the bucket down to the water. But the, the catch is, is that you need a rope. What's the rope that you can lower the bucket down 
into the waters of revelation and come up with the fresh truth, the answers and the solutions that you need. You need a rope. The rope, my friends, is joy. Praise God. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So how do you get the bucket down there to draw the the water out of the well? You use the rope. The rope is the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. And the water that you're going to pull up in your bucket will be fresh and revelatory. But look, if you read the scriptures or you spend time in the word and you have no joy in your life, uh, you move from a place of, uh, it's almost like the old joke. Uh, you know, young people, they go off to seminary and after they graduate, they come out like they've been out of a cemetery. What happens? Uh, you, you go in and something strips the joy and it could be, uh, just, uh, intellectualism that, that doesn't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. You know, the church today in many ways doesn't deny the Holy Spirit. They just ignore him. They don't deny his existence. They just don't want him to uh, come and, you know, and change anything the way they're doing it. So we have to invite the Holy Spirit in. And when he comes in, there will come joy. And when you go into the word with the Holy Spirit with joy, now you're pulling up buckets of living water and there's revelation in it. If not, if you don't have the joy, you'll go in there and you'll, and the next thing you know, you'll be saying, you'll be saying things like this. Ah, there's no such thing as women preachers. And then you'll say stuff like this. Ah, tongues aren't for the day. Tongues are of the devil. That's definitely not for the day. And you'll start saying all kinds of weird things that many people do say. Many Christians even say, but what's going on? They're pulling up water, but they're not pulling up with that joy. And therefore, the, 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 there's no revelation in the bucket. <laughs> oh, praise God. A lot of hid knowledge, but no revelation. It's the revelation that actually gives you victory in life. It has to be a living word. Praise the Lord. So, my friends, I want you to be saying goodbye to worry. And we look, look, as long as we're on this planet, Jesus said sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. There's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be various challenges that we face, not every single day, from the perspective of like another looming thing that we have to deal with. No, it could be something just as uh, simple as maybe uh, solving a little small problem. But as long as we're on this planet, working our way through this life, you're going you're gonna to have to use your faith. And there will be ample opportunities to get into worry, but just don't take them. Just say, no, no, I have a situation here, but God is my God and God's going to help me get this figured out and get this solved. We're going to make a full recovery in this, or we're going to get a breakthrough in this. Uh, We're going to get this paid off, or we're going to see this healed or whatever the case might be, but don't, don't get over into worry. You'll start to lose all your strength. And let me tell you, joy is the greatest antidepressant. The joy of the Lord, which is being fueled by the Holy Spirit, working and living in you, it's the greatest antidepressant there is on the planet. You don't have to pop any pills. You don't have to spend any money to go to the doctor, and you can be up all the time. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. (laughs) So,
Give all of your worries to the Lord and the unbelief that's connected with worry, the fear that's connected with worry. That's why people are worrying. There's a fear. Uh, And so this worry is a faith in what they actually don't want to happen, but they actually believe it's going to happen. So something that they've been hearing or listening to has been solidifying that stronghold, and that needs to be torn down. Praise God. After all, you don't want the Lord. Let me use an old colloquial uh, term. You don't want the Lord to take you to the woodshed. You know, that's an old expression back from the uh, old days, in case you're a little bit older. I'm sure you remember that one. In other words, to be taken to the woodshed means you're going to get a little spanking. You're going to have to get a little straightened out. And uh, that actually happened to me and my brothers when we were young. And both of my parents were working. And, you know, summertime rolls out, uh, rolls around, and we're out of school. And both my parents are working, mom, mom and dad, both, you know, here and there working full time. And so my grandparents had a farm. So we stayed there with my grandparents often during the summer, during the daytime until our parents got home. And uh, sometimes, sure, me and my brothers would act up and do something and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, grandma would have to take me or one of my other brothers uh, out to the woodshed for a little uh a correction. She'd get one of those switches, you know, one of those skinny little branches off of a tree and uh, cut off all the little twigs on it and stuff like that. Give me a few swats and uh, a little bit of a higher education there. Praise God. <laughs> she was really sweet though. Most of the time she never told my dad because if she ever told my dad, that means I'm going to get it double. But um, she was very, very sweet. You know, I found out later that uh, there was one time when me and my brothers uh, stumbled into a, a, a secret room in the barn. And in the barn, this one room, there was actually uh, an electrical outlet that had been run out there. And uh, they had put, in, uh, her, my grandfather had put in a, uh, uh, an old freezer out there with some frozen stuff in it. Well, me and my brothers, we thought, well, there's probably nothing in there, maybe frozen deer meat or something like that, or frozen pork sausage or something. Well, we happened to go in there and we saw that freezer one day and decided to look in it. And we opened it up and there was all these little desserts, these little pedophores. Um, uh, if I'm, I think I'm using the right word. If I'm not, I'm sure Kelly will correct me. But these, they're these little uh, handmade desserts that look like little bitty cubes. And uh, we weren't even sure what they were. And I decided to try one. And I told my brothers, I said, you wouldn't believe how good these taste. Now, remember, we are country boys. And for us, uh, big time was like a Hershey, a Hershey chocolate bar. If we ever got something like that, we thought that would be the highest level of, you know, uh, dessert pleasure. Well, when we found these little frozen mini ice cream treats, oh my goodness, we had never had anything like that. And before we knew it, we ate every single one of them. And there was maybe like 120 of them. We ate all of them. <laughs> What we didn't know, and we never found out until we were actually adults. Me and my brother, my my mom told me this many years after my grandmother had passed away, and we were, me and my brothers are all grown up. Uh, What we didn't know is that 
All of those desserts were made for a wedding that was taking place the very next day. And my grandmother had made those and she was going to go out there before the wedding, take them out and then drive, uh, you know, to over to the church which was maybe 12 miles away. And then they, they were going to be the, the feature for the wedding, you know, the treats for the people after the marriage was, was uh, wrapped up. And uh, so she goes out there that morning of the wedding, which was the following day after we'd eaten up all, lifts up the freezer and instantly knew what happened. Uh, me and my two brothers ate them all. And she knew that she just knew. And of course, she was right. And uh, of course, nobody else would have done it. It's not like a deer <laughs> went in there or a raccoon and lifted the lid up and started eating them or something like that. So she never told my dad, and she never told my mom, and me and my brothers just forgot about it. And uh, we took a few more peeks in the freezer every now and then, then eventually we forgot about it because we never saw anything like that again. But later in life, um, I don't know, maybe even 15, 15 years later, she told my mom what happened, and they all had a really good laugh about it. And, uh, of course, she's, she's been in heaven for many, many years now. But uh, she was very sweet, and so she didn't, how can I say, tell on us. <laughs> she didn't want us to get in trouble. <laughs> Praise God. Nevertheless, let me loop back. You really don't want to be taken to the woodshed, get a little spanking. It would be better if we can get that fixed up front. But watch out for worry. Don't think that the Lord treats this lightly uh, because it's always connected with unbelief, uh, and that's going to be connected with some form of fear. And the next thing you know, you're not... Uh, living up to the potential of what God has called you to be or to do, and you're certainly not going to reach the fulfillment of what God wants you to do, to do if you're playing around, uh, swimming around in that swamp of unbelief. So in the Gospel of Mark, we do see a story that seems to be, um, how can we say, pretty jolting. But I believe, you know, of course, that it's something that the Lord gave uh, his disciples ample insight, told them many times of exactly how this was going to go down and how this would work out. But, and, and then when it did, they're not believing it and such. It brings us to Mark chapter 16. By the way, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they're not in chronological order. The gospel that was actually written first was the gospel of Mark. And most theologians actually believe it was written several decades before the other Gospels were written. Wow, it's amazing. So although it comes uh, in second place, it's actually the first Gospel, the earliest Gospel that was written. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. By the way, it's my favorite Gospel out of the four. Verse 14. Later, he, that would be Jesus, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So we have to admit the 11 have been through a lot, and they, they saw things that were, uh, you know, they saw the Lord crucified, and uh, they were also a, a aware of their abandonment of the Lord and how everything just went uh, in an awful uh, direction. They couldn't understand it, and they're trying to recover from all of that. But the Lord told them everything that would happen, and it happened just as He said it would. And then, after He's raised from the dead, 
and the reports begin to go out about this, they still don't believe, and so he rebukes them. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Watch out for worry and the loss of joy. It can get you over into a place that if you play around with it, you can actually start to get hard in an area where you love God, but you just don't have any faith or expectancy of him to actually do what he said or to come through for you. And the closer you get to him and the more you grow with him, the more he expects you to uh, not dabble in those areas of worry and anxiety, especially when you are in a role of leadership. And I'm not saying you have to be an international apostle or globally known prophet or evangelist or whatever the case might be. No, you could um, just uh, be a person. Maybe you, maybe you are uh, in a smaller sphere of influence, but even still, uh, when you know what God said, he really expects you to take his word very, very seriously. Praise God. Amen. And so there was a taking to the woodshed experience right there. And he, he gave them a lashing with his tongue in a sense. He rebuked them. <laughs> and so you want to, during those low times where worry says, oh, you might as well really uh, just give up hope and just, you know, throw in the towel. No, that's really, you, you really want to dig in and trust God for breakthrough. Now, you don't necessarily have to know how it's going to happen because if you did, it doesn't take any faith. But there's something about the Lord that it's, it's strange in the sense, it seems like he likes drama. And if you think about the departure of the Israelites out of Egypt, and they get right up to uh, the Red Sea, and it looks like they're finished. And, and what happens right at the last moment? Deliverance. And then they get to the other side, and then closure. But um, you know what? If you didn't have dra- drama, D-R-A-M-A, if you didn't have drama, you could never have a good movie <laughs> because what makes movies good is the suspense and the unknown element of how are they going to get out of this. And so good script writers, they cause that drama element to build and build and build. And then the best way that it ends or the best way that it's climaxed is when something of a solution comes in from an angle that you weren't expecting. Uh, such as the Calvary riding over the hill or whatever it might be, but there's some kind of rescue. And for whatever reason, it works better in the movies when it happens close to the end. (laughs) If it happened up front, you're never going to watch the movie. There's nothing else that's going to outdo, you know, that type of moment. So there is something with God where he he doesn't lead you down that path every time, but there are sometimes... Yes, he can cut it real, real close. And I've had that happen uh, through some great learning experiences. And so, because I've learned them really well, and I sometimes I almost get this sense like, been here before, done this before, and I'm not getting off track this time, because one time the Lord did take me to the woodshed, and I should have known better. And I yielded anyhow. It was a time I was facing a great... Uh, pressure financially, where it just seemed like uh, money coming into the ministry just stopped. And, you know, I was already in the ministry full-time and preaching, 
And the, the, the two primary thrusts of my ministry are, number one, close walk with God. Number two, teach people faith. That's my earthly assignment. That's my ministry mandate. And so, although I had been teaching faith and go around churches and teach on the principles of faith and walk close with God and stuff like that, I got in the midst of this trial, and it was the fierce. It was the fiercest trial I had ever been in, ever in my life, because a lot of it didn't make any sense. And I, of course, when something like that is going on, you know the devil is trying to disrupt things and cause trouble. Um, but I just, you know, I was trusting God. God's going to come through for me. But it kept getting worse, and eventually, I chose for whatever reason, because of mainly of the circumstances, to look at the, like Peter walking on the water, I chose for whatever reason to keep, to look at the wind and the waves because they were there. I mean, the, and it's like the wind and the waves were getting louder and howling and growing. And I looked, and when I looked, I began to sink. And uh, what happened is that right in the middle of an update, because Kelly called me at night, I went down to the office to pray because the situation was getting real tight. And not only that, I'm supposed to leave for an international trip in Asia (laughs) within like 48 hours or something like that. And I'm like, Lord, not only do I have that trip coming up, I've got all of this, uh, all of this uh, stack of bills that were most of them were behind. And I'm trying to juggle it to, you know, keep them from getting too far behind. And you're talking about a pressure cooker. Well, anyhow, I uh, I just for I just felt like, Lord, I guess you just you let me down on this one. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's obviously not good. And I knew that at that moment I had gotten out of faith. Now a lightning bolt didn't hit me on the head. You know, God didn't reach down with a big King James Version Bible and throw the Bible at me and say, "How dare you?" You know, he he didn't do that. But let me tell you what did happen. That night I'd gone down to the office. I left my house, told my wife, I'm going to the office to pray. I'm down there praying, and she called me on the phone, which is totally fine. She wanted to give me an update, and I want to know the updates of what's going on. And she said, oh, we've had, we had a few more bills come in. And I said, well, I'll just add them, add them to the stack to the, you know, increase the overall total. And while she's talking to me, uh, concluding with the update, and I'm in the I'm in our ministry office at that time, and the the door was locked, and I'm in another office within the the main office, and that door was closed, and somebody walked in and walked right up next to me, and I knew instantly who it was. I said, Kelly, I have to go right now. She said, Is everything okay? I said, Yes. I said, I have to go. She goes, Oh okay, I understand. And she understood I was having a vision. I was going into a vision. And I, uh, this phone wasn't a cell phone. It had, uh, it had the cord on it, you know. And so I took the phone and hung it up. And when I hung it up, I turned around in my, uh, in my chair, had one of those mobile chairs. And when I turned around, there was the Lord standing right next to me. <laughs> oh, man. And he wasn't smiling. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't expect him to be because I knew, I knew I'd gotten out of faith. And in the, everything I, I preached and taught, I had fumbled the ball. And what took place is that I'd, I'd call it kind of like a woodshed experience. And he said, he looked at me and he didn't smile. He said, we need to, we need to get to the bottom of this. 
We, in other words, we need to get to the bottom of why I have gotten over into a place of unbelief and uh, you know why I'd gotten into a place where I started worrying about it and gotten into unbelief. And uh, yes, if you're curious, the Lord was wearing a robe. I could see his clothing. I could see everything about him. But remember, in, in experiences like this, it's not like, hey, Lord, let me see the nail hole in your hand. No, this is not, it's not, a, this is not a fun moment. This is not, you know, a, a, a curiosity answer type visionary experience. This is like, let's get to, what, to the deal of what's going on here with you doubting me. And so, so he said, we need to get to the bottom of this. And he stepped into me. He stepped into Stephen Brooks. He stepped right into me. And when he stepped into me, we, he and I together, stepped into an elevator in my spirit. Now, I'm not saying that on the inside of you, there's a mechanical elevator, you know, like at the Empire State Building, go to the top on the elevator, <laughs> you know. I was in Taipei one time. You know, you can go up to the 111th or floor or something like that. I'm not saying you have a literal elevator. I'm just saying that's what it was like, though. And, and honestly, the, there were doors. There was a, a door that slid open and that would close, and they had an elevator floor and all of that stuff. But I know also this is prophet. This is a prophetic experience. So we stepped into an elevator on the inside of me in my spirit. I, as a spirit being, and the Lord, and we stepped inside the elevator. The doors close, and we start going down. And you talking about going down, 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 down. We went floor after floor after floor, and it does say in the book of Proverbs that the spirit of man is very large. And trust me, that's true. You have no idea how big you are on the inside. Remember it said that God gave Solomon a very large heart. And so he had a huge expansion on the inside where he didn't think it was a grand thing to build a chicken coop. No, he, he was thinking on like a global international trade level. And he was just, he was on a different level, but I'm saying the potential is on, uh, on the inside of every person for doing something that, uh, makes a ripple, makes an impact. Anyhow, so we're going down floor after floor after floor and further and further down until we got to the very bottom floor. And when we got to the bottom floor, there was like a little, you know, like on an elevator, you got the lights, you know, for the different floors and stuff like that. The bottom, the bottom light lit up and the doors opened <laughs> and we stepped out. He and I stepped out of the elevator and we stepped out on bedrock. And I knew I am at the very core bottom depth of the heart of Stephen W. Brooks. We are standing there on the bedrock of the foundation of who God created me to be. And we're standing there, and I was like, and it, it, it looked like a gigantic, illuminated, like cavernous type area of great expanse. And a billboard lit up, and the Lord took his hand and he pointed. He said, What are you going to do about that? And he pointed to a sign that looked like a billboard that you would see on a highway. And on that sign, I read these words, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so he was wanting to know, what am I going to do about that? I said, well, Lord, he said, don't answer right now. Don't answer yet. He said, I want you to think about it. 
I said, okay. I, I, you know, because off my head, I would say, I trust you, Lord. But he's like, no, these things have to be of the heart. He didn't say that, but I knew that's exactly what he meant. He didn't want it just a point blank, uh, you know, technically correct statement. He wants me to say it when I can really mean it. And I said, okay. And the vision began to fade out, and I'm, I'm in the chair in the office. I thought, wow. I said, well, Lord, I, I really missed it. I knew I missed it the whole time, but I'm getting back in faith, getting back on, getting back uh, on the target here. And uh, I said, I just trust you. But it, it is fascinating. Let's take a look at that verse just for a moment. Uh, I, of course, you know, found that later in the Bible, and even when I saw it on the billboard. You know, I don't have the whole Bible memorized, but I remember thinking, I think that's in the book of Job. And, of course, it is. Let's take a look at it, because that would be the book of Job, which is just before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Let me be the first one to say that the devil is a bad devil. God is a good God. God in no way is going around trying to slay you or kill you. But what I'm trying to say is that God, in his wisdom, he sometimes allows the enemy to keep up uh, the stormy circumstances for the sole factor, not of making your life difficult, but of developing your faith. And the Lord really wants to see, will you believe him when all types of opposing circumstances and trials are opposing you and basically opposing his word and his promise? Now, we're all at different levels. God will never allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But right where you're at, he can take you right to the edge. He can take you right up to the edge where you think, I can't, this is it. I am maxed out with my faith, with all of my knowledge, utilizing every bit of spiritual armament and warfare I've got. I'm on the edge right now. And he can take you there on purpose. And he can let the thing ride on till you get to that place. Now, of course, while all this was going on, as we know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I had no idea that within just a few days, God was going to open heaven over my life and money would pour in to a degree that every single bill, and there was a stack of them, every single bill would be paid off so easy. All uh, of the various storehouses would be refilled and there would be plenty. I had no idea that God was about to do that for me, but he's looking at me. And I really learned during that great trial that Lord, and he got, he got me through it. And I, I, of course I repented, said, Lord, I'm back and got, got dialed in three days later. I had another encounter and I was able to give the Lord my answer. Lord, (laughs) though you slay me yet, will I trust you? No, you're not trying to kill me. You're just letting these circumstances really prove me and develop me. But I said, I'm in with you all the way. And, and, and just right after that, boom, God began to bless, began to bless in crazy, crazy, really nothing less than miraculous ways. And so I have learned, because I, that was years back, I've learned over the years that if you ever start to get in these type of circ, uh, circumstances or situations, this is how you handle it. And the one thing you do is you do not, you, no matter what, you do not get into worry. Well, Pastor Stephen, you're about to lose everything. Seems to me you should be concerned about it. Not if you've cast it on the Lord. 
Now, I don't expect unbelievers or non-spiritual people to understand that, but I'm going to do what the Word says. And that's what we're supposed to do. Pray until you've got it all over on the Lord and leave it there. Praise God. Then go on about your life. Trust Him. Trust Him. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There are some of you who've been a little bit wishy-washy. You're, you're all there for the Lord as long as everything's good. If anything starts to shake at all, or God allows a little bit of testing to come in, you're, you're ready to bail. Um, God wants you to be real solid because he's going, look, he has a destiny for you. He's going to get you to the top, but with the visionary destiny that God has for you, even as the prophet Habakkuk said, the vision only speaks at the end. No vision speaks its full expression at the beginning. It can't. You're just starting out. Nobody can really see it except for you. And it doesn't even speak halfway through. People may still be mocking or laughing and say, can you believe they actually believe that? But trust me, the vision speaks at the end. And then suddenly when it's speaking, you look around, where's all the mockers at? Where, where are they at now? They have all evaporated because now it's worked and it makes them look like uh, the ones that were the goofballs because they, they were, they were anybody that's against the word. They're going to be the ones that come up short, <laughs> especially as things get more trying and more testing in the earth, as we are in the last days, moving further and further into them, cut, getting closer and closer to the Lord's return. So I want to encourage you to draw water from the wells of salvation with joy. Oh, Pastor Stephen, though, if you knew what I'm facing right now, you'd understand why I don't have any joy. Well, that is a sign that you're not strong. You need to get the joy of the Lord flowing and get any worry cast over on God. And he's going to take care of it. He cares for you. Mm -mm. And he's going to deliver you and bless you and do great things. Amen. Don't compromise. Lock in completely with the Lord. Why sometimes are men corrupt and why is it that they're so adamant in ways that are so opposed to biblical principles? Because somewhere along the line, they compromised and they said, I have to do this or else I'll lose my job. Ah, their job is their God. Because there are certain things that you say, I can't do this. This this goes against every Christian biblical conviction I have, and I cannot violate my conscience or disobey God. Well, if you do that, you're going to lose your job. Well, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. But though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mm -mm. I used to think it said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That's not what it says. You got, you got a lot of people that in a sense can serve God or maybe even go to church or, you know, or have some uh, devotion to them. But trust, all out trust, even when others are jumping ship. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Remember, so often persecution comes because of your strong stance of not relenting on biblical morals, values, and principles. And if you're willing to compromise, the persecution goes away. But for many, that's why there is persecution, because of your strong stance. Look, Stand with the Lord when it's all said and done. You know nothing's going to knock him over or knock him down. If you stand with him, his victory becomes your victory. 
and then others see it. Praise God. Mm-mm. Oh, there's victory coming for you bigger than anything that you have even thought. Praise God. God wants to work such, such an expression of his power, grace, and beauty in your life that it staggers those who have known you, and they're, they're just like, how has this happened to you? But you know how, because you walk with the Lord, and you're fully committed to him. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. I think we're touching on some areas today of being a living martyr. Not everybody is uh, destined to be burned at a stake. Not everybody is destined to be beheaded because of their faith. But you can lay your life down daily for the Lord. And in a sense, you can identify with those that have had the other path of martyrdom. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are watching these next three months that we're in right now. They're going to go very quick. But Father, also, this we, we must offer our best sensitivity to you, particularly in the areas of dreams. Father, help your people to be disciplined, not to stay up late doing crazy stuff, but to go to bed early so that should you speak, should you speak, they can be alert and they can receive and be sensitive to what it is you're doing. Now, Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O God. We cast every care over on you. We thank you that you're moving in great power. We thank you, Father God. Somebody, you're facing bankruptcy. Look to the Lord. Somebody, you're facing potential prison time. Repent. Look to the Lord fully, fully. Mm, Praise God, because God can extend mercy and grace. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We give you praise. Thank you, O God. We give you praise. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a joy to be able to live free from fear and torment. What a joy to be free from that. Something that so many people deal with today with um, all of these mental problems. A lot of it is fear-based. Mm-mm. Father, we thank you. That's why God is causing the church to be salt and light. That's why he's causing his glory to rest upon his people as a great end-time witness of true salvation and peace found only in him. Praise God. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can make peace with God right now. Pray this prayer after me. Pray it from your heart. Please pray it out loud. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Wash my sin away. Write my name in your book of life. Jesus, I give my life to you. Now, Jesus, step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Back in the days of Noah, the ark, Noah's ark, was the means of escape of the righteous. Today, Jesus Christ is the ark of rescue and safety. And those that call upon his name, he saves. And we enter into him. We enter into the ark. Protection from the wrath that is to come. 
Praise God. Now, let's take Holy Communion together. I want to encourage you to grab some unleavened bread, and I actually have some today, the, the real type, and grab some grape juice. Praise the Lord. And let's pray. Let's take communion together. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice, and we bless it right now. We thank you, Father, that this is now the body, the flesh, and the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. So as we receive the Lord's body, we thank you, Father, for peace. You did not design us to function well, to function good at all, in a state of toxicity based upon worry. Thank you, Father God. Mm-mm. Thank you for freedom from that. Oh, God, we trust you. Father, let faith be strong in your people. Thank you, Father God. We feast upon your word. We thank you that your joy is our strength. And right now, today, we're drawing those, uh, those buckets of cool water, those buckets of revelation. We're pulling them up from the river of life. We're pulling them up with the rope of joy. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As believers, people should look at us and they should see that, that joyful life, not like we're off to another funeral or something like that. You know, it says in the Psalms that the dead do not praise the Lord. There's something about uh, religion that's, uh, that's flavored and influenced by the traditions of men with somber looks and long faces. Uh, my friends, that's not biblical. That's, that's not the way God is. We draw water from the wells of salvation with joy. Praise God. And Jesus was anointed more than the others, more than his fellows with the oil of gladness, not the oil of sadness. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we have committed any sin, that you would forgive us, wash us from all sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, if there's anyone that we, uh, if there's anyone that sinned against us, we forgive them and we bless them and we go on with you. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father. We have freely received and we freely give. We thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. And we all say amen. Let's receive. Hallelujah. Glory. 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 I want you to have an attitude of expectancy for God to break through into your life in very, very real, tangible ways. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean the ark showed up at the house of Obed-Edom? What's that like? Let me give you an example. We were in Israel one time at the Sea of Galilee, and Kelly and I were leading a tour. We told everybody in our group, 
look, uh, this is our hotel, and let's all meet in the lobby, and, uh, and I'm going to teach you a, a little message today from the Bible. And so everybody came. We gathered in the, in the lobby and opened our Bibles up. As we're sitting there getting ready for the Bible study, guess who came into the meeting? Who, Pastor Stephen? God did. He walked into the meeting. You couldn't see him because God's a spirit. Okay. He came into the meeting and this phenomenal presence of God came right into the meeting. And, uh, it was quite a Bible study. Now, after the trip was over and we got back home, I got a phone call from one of the people on my trip, a businesswoman from Dallas, Texas. And she called and she said, she said, Pastor Stephen, that was awesome and off the charts when we had that Bible study there at the Sea of Galilee, she said, God came into the room. I said, yeah, he did. That was pretty wild, wasn't it? She said, wild. She said, I've never had anything like that in my life. She said, I couldn't believe it. She said, God came into that room. I said, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. I want you to be anticipating real encounters with the resurrected Christ through the perusia experience. So that means the presence of God. See, there is the coming of the Lord, but before he returns physically, he's coming with his mighty presence, the perusia. That's a Greek word that means the manifested presence. And you're going to have these incredible encounters with the Lord. But, oh, I really feel impelled to uh, really let you know that God so often speaks through very vivid dreams. And uh, to catch these dreams, you can't, you can't just squander your time and be so wore out that you can't get up when God wants to talk to you. Because he's, He chooses the time. He comes in, walks in when He wants to. But I'm telling you, get ready for the Obed-Edom experience where the ark is parked in your house. And that man went from poverty to wealth in three months. He went from a nobody to a somebody in three months. He was the envy of the nation, a righteous envy, not, not an evil jealousy, but like, wow, man, <laughs> somebody bring the ark over here. <laughs> David's like, no, 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 no. It's coming to Jerusalem with me. <laughs> and we talked about it last, last week. Obed-Edom followed the ark. Yes, he moved, he moved to Jerusalem. He wanted to be close by. It became a, a, a doorkeeper. Well, my friends, thank you for watching today. It's always a joy to fellowship and talk with you. So till next time, stay richly blessed and keep pulling up those waters from the wells of salvation with the rope of joy. Bye-bye.